welcome to the Badass Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Fox. So last week I talked a little bit about how important it is to inspire creativity in kids. This week I have two guests who are heavily involved in helping to shape creative minds. Both of today's guests are teachers, so they have extremely important roles in the lives of others. And students, whether young or not quite so young, learn from what is shared. Teachers take notice of their students, and I think that helps them inform how they teach. Both of these teachers not only inspire others, but they have also been inspired to create, to help create, and they've had amazing experiences doing so. So first up is Amy Maxine Ehrman. Amy spent her entire life moving back and forth across the Illinois-Wisconsin border. She learned to love stories at the feet of her grandfather, someone who could make even the most mundane stories spring to life. Her life has taken the path of writer, educator, and lifelong learner because of him, and she wouldn't have it any other way. She is currently in her 13th year of teaching writing at a community college in Northern Illinois. I'm going to post a link in the show notes for a very special project that Amy has been a huge part of, so please look for that. And it's such a beautiful project, and I just love everything about it. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's awesome to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So first of all, tell us a little bit about your writing journey. When did you first start writing stories and what was your inspiration behind it? Um, So honestly, I don't really remember the start of it. Um, I've been making up stories since before I could write. And I think it's because I come from a family of storytellers. I actually credit my papa, who's my maternal grandfather, for my love of story. He was the type who could make the most mundane details spring to life. And I could just sit and listen to him for hours. But I would say I really started taking it seriously when I went to college. Um, I went to the University of Wisconsin Green Bay for undergrad. I actually started as a business major, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but that didn't even last till Thanksgiving. I changed my major to English um, in creative writing. And then went to grad school at Minnesota State University, Mankato, where I got my MFA in creative writing. So that's really when I was taking it the most serious that I had ever before. Um, And then when I started teaching, you know, my time wasn't really my own, especially at the start. So there was a lot of lag in creating, um, but I did eventually, it took a while, but I did find a balance between the two. And then I would say um, another inspiration would definitely be that I was a big reader as a kid and still now as an adult. Um, And that's always been an escape for me, places to explore and things to learn. And I find that writing allows a much more deeper experience into that escape and the exploration and the learning. Yeah, reading is so important, I think, in a writer. You can learn so much just from from seeing what other people put on the page and and how they do it. And I was just talking to someone about this yesterday. I find that I read differently now. Than I did before. I'm still enjoying the stories, but now that I'm writing and taking it more seriously, I'm finding that I I look for things behind the words because now I understand how it's all put together. <laughs> yeah, it, it can be frustrating sometimes. Like I just I want to turn that part of my brain off and I just yeah. and enjoy it. And <laughs> I can't always do that because I'm taking it apart. Yeah, yeah. So I understand that you've published poetry and short stories and photography in journals. And so you're also getting your first novel published and you're querying and you have two works in progress. Do you still write short stories and poetry and or have you put that aside to work on the novels? I still do all of it. Yeah. uh, Which can make my writing life feel really chaotic sometimes. (laughs) But I just like to follow ideas when they crop up and I let them dictate what form they need to be in. And I also find that whatever I'm teaching at that semester tends to be what's, um, it puts me in the mood for whatever it is. So if it's poetry in the spring, I tend to write a lot of poetry versus, you know, in the the fall it's fiction. So I tend to to have more ideas for prose, but yeah, I, I do all of it. I love all of it so much. Nice. Yeah, I do too. I like to sort of sometimes step away from writing the big things and write some small things. It just kind of, I don't know, it's refreshing, I guess, in a way. 
it's refreshing. And sometimes it's also just, I have this little tiny block of time and I can get a poem done, a draft of a poem done versus sitting down with a novel. It just feels so much bigger and I, I can't always fit it in the blocks of time, even because I'm very tunnel vision. Like whenever I get an idea, that's all I want to do. <laughs> so mm-hmm. when I get into a novel, if I only have 15 minutes, it's just like torture. Yeah. <laughs> so do you prefer one style over another or like novels versus poetry versus short stories? Or it just, it totally depends on, on what's happening. It depends what's happening. I love them all. I find they serve very different purposes. Like poetry for me is where I go for my really personal writing. It helps me move through things. Whereas prose, I feel like I can play with ideas and explore worlds in a very different way. And then even something like a screenplay really helps you focus on your dialogue because there's literally nothing else on the page. Mm -hmm. But I I guess I would say prose is my first love. That's where it all started. Yeah. And so you write in multiple genres. You write women's fiction, sci-fi, fantasy, historical fiction, and magical realism. Do you have a favorite out of any of those? It depends on my mood. (laughs) Um, I guess more so the main thread for me is that I like to write and read character-driven stories. Um, So that's, that's where they all sort of come together. I get an idea and then I try to explore the relationships in that story. And then I figure out where the story belongs. I'm going to use air quotes around belongs. Um, Mm -hmm. Genre is usually the last thing that I think about. My first book ended up being women's fiction, but it's not that I set out to write women's fiction. The threads of life and how some people aren't always meant to stay in our lives, that perhaps they're just there to teach us something. And then when I got to the point of querying, I was like, well, I guess I have to figure out what this Mm -hmm. is. And um, women's fiction seemed to be the best fit for it. And then my second book, the manuscript that I wrote, I had an idea for a story of a young girl who doesn't know her birth family. And she stumbles upon learning about them because she can see her dead ancestors. And it took me a really long time to figure out where that was even supposed to go. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't necessarily sit down and go, I'm going to write magic realism today, or I'm going to write science fiction. It's here's a story. And then I just figure out where it goes from there. Yeah. Awesome. So you were just mentioning a little bit about the book that's coming out soon. Can you give us a little bit of a premise? Sure. Um, so the book is called All Falling Things, which I actually, I'm terrible at titles. And I ended up getting that title from misreading a billboard while I was driving. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Um, the story came about in two different ways. And the first is an unhappy one, but it was an end of an eight and a half year relationship. And generally when things are ending, you know, regret is a really easy thing to slip into. Um, but then I started thinking about all of the people and all of the experiences that came into my life as a result of that relationship and how without that, I wouldn't have some of my favorite people. I'd be living a completely different life. And with that realization, the regret went away. So that was the main catalyst um, of this particular story. And then the second comes from my love of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Mm -hmm. Um, All of the characters in my book have a tie to a character from Alice's world. Um, There are two narrators, and the first is Alice, of course, Mm -hmm. who has just moved into her own wonderland, which is Chicago. And she's trying to find her own path after living one that was dictated for her and realizing it didn't work for her. Um, And the other narrator is Stanley, who is tied to the White Rabbit. He's the sort who he's in such a rush to check off all the milestones of life. Um, that he's not really enjoying the present or even doing what he enjoys in the mm-hmm. present. And like another would be Alice's best friend when she when she moves to the city is Kaya, who's based on the Cheshire cats. And she likes to ask all these really weird philosophical questions and she's mm-hmm. a lot of fun to write. So I think the connection is not is one of those things where it's not going to be obvious. I don't think people would notice it outright, but like once you see it, you see it. So those are the two things that came together for this particular story. Awesome. I really like how you infused the Alice in Wonderland bit in there. <laughs> so how has the publishing process been for you so far? Um, it's been slow. Uh, I can't wait to hold it in my hands. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I'm trying to be really patient with the process. I knew going in, it would be a slow process. I think I didn't realize just how slow. Mm-hmm. Um, I signed the contract in September of 2020, which feels like forever ago, but yeah. it's about a year and a half ago. Um, and last I heard my editor is on the final edit. So hopefully I'll know more sometime soon. But I had actually stumbled into this through a pitch fest on Twitter. 
How fun. Um, never how I thought yeah. <laughs> I would get there. It can be a little bit unsettling too, because I'm I'm doing this without an agent and working directly with the publisher. And you know, there there are times where there'll be several months of silence and there's not an agent to reach out and ask, like, is this normal? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's been a learning experience and it's been a lot of fun, but it's definitely it's it's taught me a lot about patience. Yeah. I know they have a lot of projects on their plate too. And I just try to keep reminding myself, like they'll they'll get to me when they get to me. You know, three months of silence doesn't mean they've changed their minds. Yeah. And you're still querying, you're still in the meantime looking for an agent for future novels. I am. I have two different projects that I'm querying at the same time, which mm-hmm. is turning out to be <laughs> probably not the best idea. It's a lot to juggle, but I'm trying. Yeah. Awesome. Well, good luck with that. So the other novels that you're working on or, or that you're querying, are they attached to the first book at all, like in a series or are they standalones? No, they're they're um, completely different stories. I'm not currently working on anything in, in the world of the first book, but I, I have a couple extremely rough, very, very rough drafts of short stories um, that I've written from perspectives of some of the other characters. Um, so I might dust those off someday, but right now there's just so many different things that I want to write and I don't have enough time for all of them. So yeah. <laughs> um, that world is going to sit aside for a little while. Yeah. That's interesting you say that. I recently, well, I haven't even started writing. I have a trilogy that I want to write, um, action adventure, which is not my typical genre. And I've been waiting probably about a year. It was last February that I first came up with the idea and I've been doing a lot of research and just learning some things before I dive into it. And I've also got some other stuff on the go. So I haven't, I just haven't put the effort into it yet. But in the fall, I wrote a short story that is from the perspective of a non-POV character in the second book of the series. And it was so fun to write because I know that she's not going to have any narrative in the story. So it was really fun to kind of explore that character. And it sounds like you've kind of done a little bit of exploring like that with yours. Yeah, I one character in particular... I just stuck with me and I, I really wanted to get into their head as I was writing the novel, but I knew I didn't want to add another, <laughs> another narrator to it already. Once I had done the first draft, I had set it aside and I quick wrote out some of the novel from his perspective, but then it goes after the end. We get to see a little bit after the fact, but yeah, he's he's going to have to be patient and wait his turn because there's yeah. other things. But I think it's a really fun exercise too, because even if you don't, like for your trilogy, even if you don't use that that story or that point of view, it's still going to inform it in some way. Exactly. Um, and even, you know, there's, there's going to be fans out there. I'm sure, you know, your future fans, once you write it, yeah. yeah. who are going to be really excited to read that because they're, they're going to want more. And I think that's, you know, I've, I've had moments where I, I wished that an author would write, you know, from this particular, I want to get in this person's head, but it's not mine necessarily. I know fan fiction is a thing, but I want to know what the author thinks is in their head. Yeah. <laughs> not just yeah. what I want to be in their head. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was it was a lot of fun. What have you found to be the most challenging part of the writing process? Time. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest one. Over time now, I've I've created a pretty solid process for my writing for how I approach, especially for writing novels. And even if I'm on a step that's really frustrating, I still love it. So I don't know if I'm that makes me masochistic. I don't know. <laughs> but um like I said before, when I get an idea, it just, it takes a hold of me. It's the same with reading. If I get into a book that I like, I cannot put it down. So I get the tunnel vision. I don't want to do anything else but write, but you know, I've got work and I have a house to clean and a cat that's demanding of my attention. So finding time to sit down and and write can be rough, especially with the way that my life works. I mean, so I, I teach at a, a community college and I teach writing. So there'll be weeks where I will have an extra 20 hours worth of papers to grade. So when I'm done with that, the last thing I want to do, even for 15 minutes, because I know a lot of people are like, just write 15 minutes a day. I don't want to stare at a screen for another 15 minutes. So I've carved out Fridays are my writing days. So I, I don't answer email. <laughs> I don't grade papers. My friends around here are not academics, so they're working. So nobody's asking for my attention. Yeah. Um, so finding to be able to carve that time out, I think is just, is the hardest, hardest mm-hmm. part. I envy writers who get to write full time. That's the goal someday. But other than that, like post-writing, I think querying is definitely <laughs> the most challenging yeah. part that I've come across. Yeah, it's definitely not an easy aspect of it. No. 
So on top of your writing, you were also talking about teaching. So you teach composition, creative writing, and humanities at the local community college there, which must be really interesting to see all that creativity flowing from all the students. What sort of things do you typically see in your students in terms of challenges that they're battling with their writing? I think the biggest challenge is resistance to revision, which I think we oh. all early on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, and we're just so proud of it. We think it's perfect just the way it is. And then we get feedback. And I think for a lot of us, the initial reaction is like, what do they know? It's my baby. They don't, they don't know what they're talking about. Um, so we do workshop in, in the classes, both in fiction and poetry. Um, so they get not just my feedback, they get to hear from their classmates. And we spend a lot of time talking about revision. And then I'll still get students, though, who <laughs> will turn in a revised story. And all they did was edit for grammar. And their rationale is always, you know, they wrote the story they wanted to write. And, you know, to a point, I get that and there's a time and place for that. There's nothing wrong with ignoring what everyone else has to say about your story unless you want to publish it somewhere. And that, mm-hmm. I, and again, not everyone has to publish. You don't have to publish to be a writer. And I make that very clear to them. If they're writing for their own joy, if it makes them happy, then you're good. But if you have plot holes or other such issues to address, you know, you're going to hear the same thing from, you know, whether it's a literary journal or an editor or whoever. And at some some point, you know, it can take some folks a long time to put that writerly ego aside. But at some point, we do have to do that and listen to what our readers are saying needs work. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still get that way. I took my first first writing workshop 20 years ago. It feels weird to say that. And I remember when I got my first edits back from my editor for my novel. So 20 years later, I had moments of like, no, 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 my baby. (laughs) (laughs) But I think the the difference is at this point, I've learned to recognize that for what it is. Like if my feelings, you know, a set amount of time, they can romp around hurt for a little bit, but then they have to quiet down and I can get to work. And I don't think there's an easy way to get to that point. It just, I think takes time, but I think it's something that's probably pretty universal. And I think maybe the other thing is finding their own voice. I get a lot of stories that are clearly imitations of their favorite writers, which is a great way to learn how to write. But eventually, right, we have to remove ourselves from that and find our own voice in the stories that only we can tell. And, you know, there are some students who walk in and they already have that figured out. And I envy them because I was not that student. (laughs) And then there's those that are really still entrenched in that. Um, You know, I laugh because (laughs) I I recently was cleaning out some old journals and stuff. And I was definitely in that stage. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it just it makes me laugh now. So you have each student for, I'm, a, I'm assuming, a semester? It, well, it really depends. If a student um, does fiction and poetry, I might have them for the whole year. Okay. I've had students that will find me through composition one, and then we'll take composition two, and then we'll take creative writing. So I may have them for the full two years. Um, it just, it really depends on, on where they start and, and what they're yeah. interested in. Um, I'm curious to know if you notice a change in in how they approach their feedback and that from the time that you start teaching them until they leave your classroom. Do you notice that or do you think it'll it takes longer than that time? I think one semester doesn't always do it. I think I think I see more of a difference between like when they could do composition one and then go into composition two. Because at that point, they're used to my teaching style, they're used to my feedback, they're used to what I ask of them, versus if a student just has me for one fiction class, that's only 16 weeks. So we don't always see as much, but it can depend too. I mean, you can have a student who comes in thinking, I wrote the perfect story, I'm going to hand it into a workshop, and then every single person in that room can say the same thing, you know, this is missing, or I need to know more about this. And, you know, that's hard to ignore. Some try, mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. do try. But I think 16 weeks is a really short time. So what we're doing at the community college level, I'm hoping is giving them a start so that if they do decide to continue on in creative writing, that they'll hear the same thing from their next instructor and hopefully it'll eventually sink in. Yeah. And so you've also volunteered at a school for girls in Kenya teaching about how to write memoirs, and you saw firsthand the difficulties that young women there have had in terms of gaining an education. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you got involved? So I am a lifelong learner. I love learning. Um, And I found I was missing being on the other side of the classroom. I wanted to be a student. So I enrolled at the university up the road from where I teach for a couple graduate certificates just for fun. 
And I was in this feminist theory class and the professor was bringing in folks to talk about their projects that were feminist in nature. And during one of the classes, Teresa Wasanga and Andrew Oceano came in to talk about a school they had started in Kenya, which is where they were from originally. And they talked a lot about the education system there, especially in how girls are often the last educated for a lot of reasons. The family might not have money to send them. So there are still school fees involved in sending even to a public school or the girls are kept home to care for the family or because they can earn income for the family. And then even if they do make it to school, teacher prejudice can really hold them back. In one instance, we learned about, um, it was a different school, not, not the one that they created, obviously, but some of the teachers had sent the girls during instruction to fetch water from the river for the teachers to drink. After getting over the barriers of having fees and getting to school, they're being sent away from instruction. So they're missing that instruction. Um, there's also instances where you know, girls have to stay home during menstruation because they don't have the proper hygiene products or they don't have access to clean water. So mm-hmm. the school that Teresa and Andrew created sounded like a haven for these girls who wanted education. And something about the story and what they were doing, I just, it wouldn't let me go. Mm-hmm. And I just, I wanted to get involved in some way. Awesome. And so when was that, that you, that you went there? Um, I went there in 2014, the summer of 2014. That must've been amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How long were you there for? I was there for three weeks. And so you taught um, writing memoirs. Did you choose that yourself or was that something that they approached you to teach? That was something I came up with. Not totally sure where the idea came from. I don't write memoir normally. Creative nonfiction kind of scares me. (laughs) (laughs) But I just, I kept thinking about the school and I was talking about it with anyone who had listened to me. And then the idea just struck that we could teach them memoir. And then we could publish this collection for them to use then as a fundraiser for scholarships for more girls to go. And then even with my excitement, though, I hadn't actually planned on saying anything to the professor. I thought she would think it was a silly idea. Um, But a friend of mine in class was telling me about her own idea for a fundraiser she came up with. So I shared mine and she immediately turned to our professor and outed me. Uh, (laughs) And so I'm sitting there red faced and everyone's staring at me and I'm telling them this idea. Um, but she loved it. And the next thing I knew, I was in her office and she had called Teresa and Andrew and I was telling them over speakerphone about this project and they loved it. And so we set up an independent study so that I could create the curriculum, which we called Memoir Writing for Empowerment. Um, the goal was to empower these young women to use their voices to help other people. That's amazing. And is it something like, do you still stay in touch with them? Are you still involved in any way? I am um, not as much as I would like, because especially with the pandemic, I live I live in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and they're down in DeKalb, Illinois. So it's a little bit harder. I'm not down there quite as much, but I'm, I'm trying to be involved as I can. Amazing. Would you do it again? In a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> were you able to get around and see anything else while you were there? Did you have time? Um, we spent most of our time on the school grounds. We did. Um, yeah, it did have two days like right in the middle. We did a safari, which was really fun. Nice. Uh, yeah, that was that was a really cool experience. Um, and we did get to tour some of the other schools. Um, there was a primary school down the hill, and then we went to a couple different ones in the area. And that was a really eye-opening experience in a lot of different ways because the school that Andrew and Teresa have created, I mean, it's it's amazing what they've accomplished. And mm-hmm. so when you go to these other schools and they're public, they're government schools. And they're severely underfunded um, to the point where the one down the hill, they didn't even have enough desks for all of their students. And I'm not talking desks like we know them. They're literally, you know, pieces of wood nailed together. So they would move them depending on what class was having an exam that day, they'd move them into that room. And then if you didn't have the desks, you were sitting on the floor, which is concrete. I remember the first grade class had 60 students and there was one teacher and like all of these barriers that these these children are overcoming just to get an education and then they get there and they're still, you know, it's, mm-hmm. I can't imagine it's, it's an easy environment to learn in. So seeing that against what Andrew and Teresa are doing, I mean, it's just showing to me at least how important their work really, really is. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can definitely see why you would want to do it again in a heartbeat. That's, that's amazing. And so the young women that were there in the school, um, they had the chance to publish their memoirs if they chose to. So 
How does that work? It's, it sounds like that's just about to happen. There's some finishing touches going on. How, how involved are you with that? So originally everyone was involved in the curriculum and yes, they had the choice. We didn't want to publish their work without their permission. And we had everyone, but one person said yes. So after that, and they had handwritten all of these. So those came home with me in my suitcase. And I've been, I mean, I've been really involved since then. I had the the job of typing up all of the memoirs and then um, editing them. I was supposed to have a second editor and we did kind of stall the project there. And I ended up, thankfully, was able to get permission to take the project back from them and did another run through. And then... I was asked to write an intro for it. So a lot of what I said before about the education, the intro is introducing people to what the education system is like there. One of the benefits of the project having been stalled is that we had some time. So now at this point, we have students that have graduated, not just the school, but have graduated from college and are out in the world. And Teresa has sat down with a number of these students and has been asking them you know, about what their life is like and how Asking them specifically, you know, how how was how would it have been different if not for this school? And some of these, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting in public at my favorite coffee shop, listening, you know, with earphones to mm-hmm. these stories, and I'm trying to not open them because some of these women, I mean, they're making such a huge impact already on the world and the people in their lives, and for not a scholarship that allowed them this education, that's not what they would be doing. And I don't, I don't think we. There are people in the States, obviously, that have that sort of life or death. Like if they don't get a scholarship to go to school, they're not going to go. They can't afford to go. And what a difference it could make in their life if they are able to. So yeah. So right now, I'm sorry, a little tangent there. No, so that's right okay. Now, um, we're waiting on the board, which will be meeting this this month to um, make a decision on whether we can use funds, which we're assuming they're going to say yes, um, mm-hmm. to have it typeset. And then we're going to self-publish so that we can make sure you know, every penny possible um, goes straight into that scholarship fund. That's amazing. That's so wonderful. So, so obviously the school is still going strong and and more students are going there every year. Um, It's so great. Yeah. Yeah. It's great that there's people like yourself out there who are, who are willing to step in and do stuff like that for those kids. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm such a tiny blip on (laughs) what Andrew (laughs) and some of the others have done. I mean, when, when I was there, there was a young volunteer from Heifer International who was building a small dairy. And so now there's there are cows on, on the school grounds that the girls learn how to take care of. So they're learning life skills. They have mm-hmm. access to milk. And then whatever milk is left over, they can sell. And then there's more money for the school. I mean, all these little things. There, there was a volunteer who had gotten a bunch of ukuleles and had gone over and was teaching them music classes. And yeah, so there's there's a lot of people that are seeing what Andrew and Teresa have created and, and just wanting to get involved and help. If there's any listeners out there who want to get involved, is that possible or, and, and how would they do, go about doing that? It's the Jane Aden Memorial School for Girls. If you go to jamskenya.org, so J-A-M-S-K-E-N-Y-A.org, that's their website. You can also look up Friends of Jams on Facebook. They have a Facebook page where they'll announce any fundraisers or things that they're doing as well. So yeah, if anyone is interested in getting involved or donating or anything, that would be the the place to start. Awesome. Thank you. So my last question is, what are some general tips that you would have for new writers? So the first one is read. Read the end. Read. (laughs) Um, Faulkner has a really great quote where he says, read everything, trash, classics, good and bad, see how they do it. Um, just like a carpenter who works as an apprentice and studies the master, right? Absorb it, then write. And then I love the end. It says, if it's good, you'll find out. If it's not, throw it out the window. <laughs> <laughs> but read, read everything. I also advise to join Twitter, specifically writer Twitter. Follow authors you admire, follow marginalized writers, and really listen to what they have to say. Follow editors, follow agents. I know Twitter can feel like a dumpster fire a lot of the time, but there seems to be so much joy on writer Twitter. And there's a lot of information freely available. Also, if your goal is to publish, um, start an author, Twitter, Instagram, whatever now. Um, You don't have to have a book out. Um, In fact, having a strong following can actually help sometimes in the publishing process. I also say find a writing buddy. Um, Specifically, a writing buddy who will talk about your characters like they are real people. Um, and this person doesn't have to be a writer um, as long as they enjoy reading. 
but it is helpful if they are, because then you can pay them back by, by reading their work in exchange. Right. Um, I, I honestly would not be where I am right now without my writing buddy, Jack. He's been a, a huge, huge help to the process. And then whenever I'm asked this question, I always try to think about, you know, what I wish someone would have said to me as a young writer. And mostly I wish I had been allowed to take it seriously earlier. Um, I was definitely pushed towards something stable. And I'm using air quotes around that. So something stable for a career as though there couldn't be stability in the thing that I loved the most. Right. That's just not how I grew up. And when I changed majors to English, even then it wasn't really taken seriously by a lot of folks in my life, but I finally allowed myself at that time to be serious about it. And it was an important boundary. Mm-hmm. So I think to, to new and young writers out there, if you want to write, then write. Even if every single person in your life is not taking it seriously, you can. You don't need anybody else's permission. Right. Yeah, yeah that's excellent advice. I totally agree. I did the same thing. I didn't take it seriously. I, I wanted to, but for the same reasons, you know, well, where, where's the stability in that? Like, how is that going to lead you anywhere? Well, you know, if, if looking back, if I had done something with it 20 years ago, who knows where that could have led me by now. Right. So it's also never too late. Yeah, so, no right. But, but yeah, giving yourself that permission to take it seriously and, and yeah. call yourself a writer, because if you write, you're a writer and that's, that's super don't, important. Don't have to publish. Don't have to, and it can, it can take you. I mean, it's again, thinking about the threads of life and how things lead places. If I hadn't done that change, if I hadn't become a writing teacher, I mean, Kenya would never have happened. And even right. there, like through my work, I've been able to, I did a professional exchange with a, a English faculty member in China. I got to spend two weeks hosting her here and I got to host there for two weeks. Wow. Um, and even I had the opportunity to lead a study abroad to Costa Rica for a month. <laughs> All nice. these my writing has taken me that I never, never would have guessed. So yeah, yeah. You, when you said, yeah, you don't, you never know where it's going to take you. You really don't know yeah. where it's going to take you. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you today. I'm so glad that we connected. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. Next up, we have Santita Danjou. Santita is a natural storyteller and loves anything involving the arts. Although she loves teaching reading, these days she is teaching theater arts to hundreds of middle schoolers and loving every minute of it. She now resides in Georgia with her husband and two middle schoolers of her own, John and Joanna. Hi, Santita. How are you? I'm doing good. How about you? Good. Good. So thank you so much for joining me for a chat today. I'm excited to have you here. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So can you tell our listeners about your writing journey? How did you start writing and what made you decide that you wanted to publish books? Well, I started writing in 2012. That was my, uh, well, 2011, 2012. That was my first year teaching in eighth grade. I was teaching reading um, ELA, English and Language Arts. And I saw that a lot of my female students, they were reading a lot of heavy books, books that I felt like were a little bit too much for their age group. And so it just dawned on me one day, I was like, you know, I have all these stories like floating around in my head. I could write a book that they could be interested in um, and that could, you know, give them that romance that they want, give them that drama, but not push the limits, not go beyond where they are right now. And so that's what I set out to do. So in 2012, I started writing that book. I got the idea in 2011. And that's how it all started. It started inspiration from my students and and what they were reading. And so you've published three books. Two of them are part of a series. Can you tell us a little bit about the overarching theme of the series? Okay, so that series is called The Window. uh, And there is two two books in that series. Actually, um, I'm coming up on the seven-year anniversary of that series. And I am republishing it. So I'm doing like a a new edition of that series. The overarching theme of it is that don't settle. The main character in the window series, she's about 16 years old and 
she is going through a rough spot. She's about to graduate high school. Um, She's been dating this boy since she was in like 10th grade. And um, she kind of, he kind of latched onto her when her dad left. And so when her dad left, her mom went through a, a really bad depression. And, and so she's with this boy, that's really not the right person for her, but she doesn't know how to move past it, move past him because he's all she ever knew. And so with all that going on, she's also an avid, like a avid dreamer. She dreams a lot and she journals her dreams and she journals her dreams because they come true. She's like what I would call a seer. Her dreams um, become a reality. And so um, with her dreams becoming a reality, one day she has a very profound dream. And um, because the world is in chaos already, it's kind of set in the future. Her journal goes missing and, you know, everyone's looking for the girl who had the profound dream about what's really happening in the world. So with that, it's don't settle. That's the first thing, (laughs) you know, but sometimes, I mean, my books always have more than one thing. Don't settle. And then there's always hope. That's really awesome. I kind of, that's really interesting. The spin where, where she's a seer, basically, that's, that's really cool. And you said it's set a little bit in the future? Yeah. Okay. Looking for like what's going to happen next. Um, there's a lot of wars going on and, and they feel like this young girl has an answer okay. to their question. So. And then your most recent novel, Invisible, you have said that it's a cross between 13 Reasons Why and The Shack, um, which both have very profound themes with them. Can you give us a little bit of a premise of Invisible? Invisible um, has another 16-year-old girl (laughs) who is, um, she suffers from depression and anxiety, and she has a lot going on in her life as well. And she is just, you know, doesn't want to have anything to do with her parents and with her home life. She feels like they're all ostracize her. And so she um, decides one day after, after a secret that she has is revealed to a class of her peers, she decides that she wants to end her life. And so um, she seeks revenge on those people. And so her way of revenge is, in her mind, suicide, but not on an unlikely angel's watch. Where, where did you get the inspiration behind it? Well, um, I am a middle school teacher and I have, you know, students that deal a lot with like depression and anxiety. And they're during the time where I got the idea for this book, a lot of them were reading 13 Reasons Why. And I, I saw a trend of students reading a lot of books about angels. And so I've always had like an interest in angels, too. So I was doing a study on it and I decided, like, why not, you know, kind of mesh these two things together? and create a story that has, you know, angels, which they all were interested in around that time, give them a story that really gives some truths about angels and not so much fantasy. And then also about a girl that is like them, you know, like that is dealing with these things and and feel like they don't really have someone to talk to. Josie, she has so much going wrong in her life to the point where she can't look at what's going on that's that's right, the good things. And so um, because she's so focused on all the dark and bad things, it blocks out all of the good. So um, the angel comes along to kind of shed some light on the things that are going on that she can't really see because everything else is like too loud in her mm-hmm. life. I felt like I wanted to, to give them a book that would give them some hope you know, in their situation and not just kind of leave them in that same space, uh, you know, in that same frame of mind. So that's why that's what Invisible is about. And that's why I wrote it. Well, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, there are topics that a lot of young teens go through, right? And it's, it's hard to talk about. It's hard to sort out what's going on. It's, you know, they don't know who they can trust and all of that. So I think those are probably some really good themes to be able to read about and relate to. Awesome. Yeah. And what is it that you hope your readers will come away with after re- reading your books? Well, I hope that they walk away knowing that, you know, there are people out there like them that 
come out and or turn out okay. They get through it. They overcome it. Um, so I just want them to find to relate to the story and to see someone in the story that's like them. It's just not, you know, this fictitious world, but this world that, you know, that they can find some similarities in and find some hope in it. I failed to say that Invisible is was inspired by a student I once had. Um, I've had students in the past to, that succeeded in taking their life, and um, that really made an impact on me. And um, the year that I conceived this idea, I had a student that was going through a lot of difficult thoughts of self-harm and th- different things like that. She inspired me to write this book. Um, I can say that she's well in her 20s now and um, has reached out to me recently in the past like three weeks. And she's doing so much better on the dean's list and just pursuing great things in the writing world and the art world. So that's wonderful. Happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. I wish you one of the ones that read your book. Well, I, when she emailed me to reach out, I um, asked her, which I told her she was inspiration for my most recent book. And I asked her, would she mind reading it? And if she thinks that it'll, you know, if she's in a good space to read a story like that. And she said, yeah, she's so excited. She wants me to send it as soon as possible. I haven't sent it yet, but it is on my <laughs> list of things to do. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. That's kind of a happy ending there. That's, that's awesome. And how has the publishing experience been for you for the books that you've published so far? It's been good. I can say that it hasn't been bad. It hasn't been great. My ultimate goal is to be traditionally published, but self-publishing has really helped me to kind of navigate this space. It has helped me to build a platform and to, you know, to kind of show like what I can do without a big publisher backing me. So I feel like it's made me stronger. I didn't like my experience with The Window. I published through a publishing house. Um, It's a self-publishing house. And I didn't really have a lot of control with that book as much as I did with Invisible. I published Invisible through Ingram Spark. And um, I had a lot more to do with what that book looked like and the things that I wanted in that book. And so um, I like that experience way better than the first experience. So yeah, I'll just say it's been good. Mm-hmm. Good. And so your ultimate goal is to be traditionally published. So does that mean you're querying? Not yet. Right now I am working on uh, my fourth book. I am. I have about three chapters left to finish that book. And it's this one's not so heavy, but it does deal with a topic that a lot of people can probably relate to. It's a romance, young adult romance novel. It's been fun writing that one. I plan on starting to query probably in May. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. And so you, if you were to write in any other genre, what would you write in? It sounds like you're kind of, you've taken a step towards YA romance. Is there any other genre that you might want to write in? I would think like um, adult fiction, like, conter- like contemporary adult fiction. I feel like sometimes I could, sometimes my writing sounds more like it, when I first wrote The Window, it was more speaking to my age group at the time. So I had to backtrack and rewrite that in a, like a teenager's voice. So I find it, it's probably easy for me to kind of go into just, you know, literary fiction if I decide that in the future (laughs) Mm -hmm. so that would probably be the genre I would write for yeah and what are your favorite and least favorite parts of the writing process for you my favorite and my least favorite my favorite is starting like when I initially get the idea for a book and then finishing because you just feel this overwhelming like sense of accomplishment the part that I like the least would be the middle, (laughs) (laughs) writing the book. (laughs) Um, You know, a lot of people think, oh, I can write a book. Yeah, it's, it's a great idea, but it is so, it's different when you get into it because now that story that's in your head, you have to put it into words that people can understand and relate to and feel and see and smell. And, you know, so it's like, it's the toughest part for me because you you want to beat yourself up. You want to go back and delete. 
You want to edit as you write and editing as you write is not a good idea. No. You'll never finish. <laughs> You'll never finish. So it's it's the middle part for me. That's the the part that I don't like. Yeah, it's definitely difficult. I struggle with that too in trying not to edit as I go because I, I yeah. want to make those sentences perfect and you know. Right. I think the most important part is just to get the story out on the page. And I think yeah. when you're in that headspace where you're where you're just letting the words flow. I think that is when you can more easily translate what's in your mind yeah. onto the page. And then you can go back and tweak it and make it, you know, make those little yeah. changes in that. Yeah. yeah. Not easy though. It's definitely not easy. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> and so outside of writing, you're a middle school teacher in theater. So you get to exercise your creativity in another avenue. Do you ever draw on your experience there and, you, and put it in your writing somehow? Well, I draw on my students. You know, who knows, one day I might write a story that has to do with like someone who has stage fright, you know, because that's what I deal a lot with with my middle schoolers. I kind of make theater a free space or safe space for my students to just be themselves. And that's a huge thing in middle school. They are like so concerned and adults are too, but even more so, they're so concerned about what people think. And that really causes them to be like in this like to kind of go into their shell and not want to express themselves. And so um, who knows, that may turn into a story one day. It probably will. But at this point, the stories that are in my head hasn't really derived from theater, but the, the things that they deal with, I guess I should say that they mm-hmm. deal with. Yeah. Yeah. And then lastly, could you give our listeners some tips on writing stories with strong themes and where to draw inspiration from in their everyday lives? I would say just pay attention to the things that you you constantly are faced with. Like if you want to write a story with strong themes, then, you know, those things will pop up in your life at some point more often than not. And those things that pop up, maybe that's the universe kind of telling you hey, look at me. This is something that people need to pay attention to. Or even like, even if it's not a strong topic or a topic that is prevalent in the world, you know, things that'll cause people to just go to a different place, you know, an escape for people. I find that those are the books I pick up most often are those books that help me to escape to a different place. Um, I love reading books that take me to different countries and different locations. So if you've been on like an adventure before, or maybe even an adventure in your imagination or in your dreams, look, that's how um, C.S. Lewis got Narnia, the Chronicles of Narnia. It was a dream. Mm -hmm. Stephanie Myers, um, it was a dream about Edward. So, you know, anything like that, I feel it's just you got to pay attention, pay attention to what's going on in your life and in your surroundings. And um, maybe there's a story there. Mm -hmm. I would say we talked about this a little bit earlier. Once you sit down and you're writing, try not to edit. Just get it out. Get the story down. Don't edit it until the end. The manuscript I'm working on right now, it's about 50,000 words. And my books tend to be about 60 to 70,000. And so I'm almost finished and I'm at 50,000 words. But I know that there's a lot of plot holes that I have to go back and fill because I never stopped. I just kept writing through so that I can just get it done. So that would be one thing um, that I would I would also I would advise is to just get it out and take notes, like have a notepad ready, have sticky notes, because once you start writing that book, there's so many things that occur in that story, your characters just take off and there may be some little things that you forget. Like, you know, right now there's a character, I can't remember the character's name the character that came up in the story, like in chapter three, but instead of me going back and reading it, I don't want to get stuck because I will get stuck reading it and trying to edit. (laughs) So I, I just keep going and I put a blank, I put a little blank space or some stars in that spot in the manuscript. And so once I go back to edit, to do my work, my first round of editing, I'll figure out that character's name. So that's another tip, like make sure you're taking good notes of all your characters' names that you, you know, even if that character comes up, like 
at the spur of the moment, take that character's name down and different times that things happen so that you can fill all of that in all those plot holes in when you go back. So, yeah. Yeah. I use um, Scrivener when I write my manuscripts and I always have Mm -hmm. little little notes and little, you know, research topics and all of that so that I can easily refer to it. Cause that's, it's important. You're writing a huge manuscript, right? You're yeah. going to forget things. It's normal. Yeah. <laughs> I guess lastly, I would say, you know, don't be discouraged by how long it's taking you. Uh, just keep going. That gratification will come once it's finished. Um, at first you may think that this is trash. Don't throw it in the trash. Don't delete it, just let it sit there. And, you know, maybe when you go back to it later, it'll sound better to you. Just let it sit. Or maybe you have the better words to use in your um, story, but just never throw your stories away and never quit. Just keep pushing. All you need is one yes. And that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, it doesn't matter where you are in that process all of those steps that you've taken, it's never a waste, right? You're learning along the way. So don't get rid of it. Maybe put it in a drawer for a little while (laughs) as as many of us do, but those are all steps towards something bigger and better and you're, you're growing along the way. So it's never a waste and it's never, it's never trash worthy really. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you. Thank you for this interview. I appreciate it. Yeah. And we'll look forward to seeing your next book on the shelves when it's ready. I can't wait. So that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed learning about the wonderful writing projects that both Amy and Santita have going on. Make sure you check out the show notes for their links and information. One last thing. I'd love to give a huge thank you to everyone in the writing community who participated in Mood Pitch last week. Our inaugural event was a massive success and we couldn't be happier with the results. About a quarter of the participants received likes from agents and publishers on their pitches, which is so, so wonderful. Jamie, Lula, and I are so grateful to all the agents and publishers who participated and to everyone who supported and lifted up your writing friends, even if you weren't pitching yourself. That is what the writing community is all about. That support and encouragement is amazing. If you did get a like, we wish you the best of luck with your querying. If you didn't get a like, that is absolutely okay. And it is certainly not a reflection of you or your work. We have another event coming up in November, so you can try again. With the amount of people who joined in and the amount of people who found out about it a little too late, we're expecting another huge turnout for the next one. So mark your calendars for Thursday, November 3rd, and watch for the pre-event activities in the six days leading up to the big day. Keep in touch and stay updated by following us on Twitter at moodpitchers and following us on our website at www.moodpitchers.org. And if you end up getting your agent through Mood Pitch, or if you end up signing a book deal with a publisher through Mood Pitch, please let us know. We would love to hear all about it. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you have a great rest of your week. And as always, keep being badass.